Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Friday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan LaVoy, the host of the show. Today I've got Brooks Childress with me as we've got three hours of college football in store for you this afternoon, getting you set for Auburn and Cal tomorrow night in Berkeley. So we'll talk a lot about the Auburn and Cal matchup. We'll also preview the rest of the weekend in college football. There are some important games going on in the Southeastern Conference that we will get to uh, at large. That will also be in our Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Also a couple other games of note across the country that we'll try to squeeze in as well. But again, a lot of the big action is taking place in the SEC. So again, Auburn-Cal. And the other SEC matchups we will talk a lot about today. Uh, of course, as always, we'll try and have a what to watch for over the weekend and uh, a nightly TV guide. And, of course, your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Ryan and Brooks coming to you live for three hours this afternoon. Brooks, uh, we did have our first NFL game last night. We spent a lot of our Thursdays covering some NFL, so I, I know you might want a word on that. But I uh, hope you had a great uh, end of your day yesterday and glad to see you again today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we finally have the full slate of football back in our lives uh, for the fall. At the NFL making this return last night. Um, big win for the Lions to start things off. Um, you know, after uh, since Aaron Rodgers is out of that division uh, with Green Bay, the the you know it feels like the NFC North is pretty wide open. And you know, you guys talked about it on Thursday or on on Wednesday, um, but the Lions making a case. You know, they missed the playoffs by just a little bit of just a hair last year, and so they're they're making a case to get back to the playoffs this year. Maybe maybe run that division this year. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, fun game last night. Came down to the last drive of the game for uh, for. Kansas City and yeah the NFL's back it's so fun we get the Falcons back this weekend uh here locally and so a uh, big division game to start things off for the, for the the local Atlanta Falcons against the Carolina Panthers uh and then my Patriots are on national TV in the afternoon against the Philadelphia Eagles honoring Tom Brady he's back uh but still retired uh, and <laughs> he tweeted last night I think it said we're we he said like we're so back or something and then he followed it up with like I'm still retired but we're still back um so so it's it's a great time. You know, we had a little college football action last night. Uh, former Auburn Tiger Joey Gatewood in action last night. I don't know if people realized he was at uh, – I didn't realize he was at Louisville now as a tight end. Caught a touchdown pass late in that game for Louisville. Um, so he, he's still doing some good things in college football. And we got a couple games tonight. Full slate tomorrow, of course, with a lot of SEC action. Like you said, we'll talk about that coming up. The Braves still playing. They uh, salvaged a game last night from the Cardinals. Now they have to deal with another NL Central team, the Pirates, coming in this weekend uh, to to Truist Park up in Atlanta. So 
Uh, it, it's a full weekend of sports, and there, there's a lot of great stuff to talk about. And can't wait to can't wait to for three hours of college football talk. That's always what I'm. I'm <laughs> I, I dream about Fridays in the fall on Sports Call because we just dive headfirst into the college football, and it's it's so fun. It's my favorite sport in the world to talk about. Absolutely. So as you said, let's dive right into it. Auburn and Cal, nine thirty Central Time tomorrow night. I hope everyone uh, gets good rest tonight in preparation for. Tomorrow, of course, I sometimes can be guilty of thinking that other people can just stay up till midnight and it not be very difficult. Uh, and that's because my schedule is always to stay up till like one in the morning. And so this is actually right in my wheelhouse and I'm excited for it. But I realize that other normal people go to bed at like nine and 10 p.m. a lot of nights. Uh, and so this is going to be a challenge for some to stay awake. Uh, however, I think we'll have an entertaining game to, to occupy uh, the eyeballs tomorrow night. We've talked a lot this week as we preview bits and pieces throughout the week, but obviously full preview now, Brooks, that the run game is going to be the thing to watch for Auburn on the defensive side of things because uh, Auburn did not necessarily check that box in week one against UMass. They checked a lot of boxes in terms of okay, we understand it's UMass, but can you show me this, this, and this? And again, a lot of check check marks, except uh, predominantly in that rush game on the defensive side of the ball, UMass averaging a little over five yards a carry. And of course, Cal to North Texas, we talked over 350 rushing yards. Jay Knott, the running back, 20 carries, buck 78, couple touchdowns. They averaged over six yards of carries with six rushing touchdowns. So obviously Cal got it going the way they wanted to. So we've talked a lot about that. Is there anything else, Brooks, that you think you find to be overly interesting? Is there another matchup, another side of the ball, another position group that you think would be the X factor? If it's not rushing attack, it, it might be blank. Uh, I think the X factor could be, and and you know we'll we'll get more into the the nuts and bolts of this game as we go along here. But I, I think it could be Cal's defense, uh, Cal's defense's ability to stop uh, Robbie Asher in the red zone. Uh, you know we talked about it last week. That's a that was a big part of the offense there uh, for Auburn. Once they got in the red zone, you pulled you got Robbie Asher in there. He was able to run some stuff. Um, there wasn't a lot of like I said uh, earlier in the week. There wasn't a lot of trickeration. Uh, and, uh, literally one time they ran a play Robbie Ashford uh, kept the ball over to the left side of the the line and got stopped they lined up in the same uh, in the the same formation I leaned over to either you or Brent and I said they're running the exact same thing Robbie Ashford's going to keep the ball on the left side and he did it was the exact same play so you really didn't have to fool uh, the 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 UMass defense as much um, Hugh Freeze talked about it the uh, earlier in the week the the Cal defense is not a defense that's going out there trying to fool you like uh, a Don Brown defense was doing this past weekend they're going to line up you know what they're going to be playing you know how they're going to be playing but they're just so good at executing uh, and Justin Wilcox does a really good job in getting their defense to execute that that's what's hard to beat about them is they they don't make a lot of mistakes uh, they it's not a very complex defense but they don't make a mistake they don't make mistakes it's it's like the the uh you know you it, the the old adage i'm going to tell you we're running the ball up the middle and you can't stop us that's basically how it is on defense it is uh it, it's it's they're they're telling you this is the defense we're running and you can't really do a lot about it and so when when it comes to red zone and when auburn gets into the red zone if robbie ashford if you see a little more trickeration there with 
with uh, Robbie Ashford's package down there in the red zone, or even you know Peyton Thorne. You may leave Peyton Thorne in, in the in the red zone if the if the Cal defense is expecting you know oh they're inside the twenty. Here comes Robbie Ashford and Peyton Thorne you know stays out there. Uh, it, it may help to confuse that, but I think the red zone offense for Auburn versus that Cal defense could be a big X factor because as long as you add if if, if, if Auburn adds a little more trickeration in this weekend to keep that defense on their on their heels a little bit. Um, it, it, that could be the the difference in the ball game for for Auburn some, for some scoring chances there. Yeah, I like that. I think that red zone, look, red zone really matters a lot uh, in games that are are contested, right? I mean, we saw last week in some of the other games, like Clemson and Duke and LSU and Florida State, that the favored team there, although LSU Florida State was pretty close to picking, but LSU slight favorite, the favored team. Did not have trouble moving the ball. They had trouble finishing. LSU had two times they were stopped on fourth down in the first half against Florida State. They settled for another field goal. It's three trips to the red zone where they got three points out of those three three particular trips. For Clemson, they had two fumbles inside of the 10-yard line. They had another field goal shanked. They had no points out of those three red zone trips that I'm referring to. If you convert all of those, those are different stories. I know the margins got a little bit out of hand by the end of it, but you're functioning with a different game if Florida State's down two or three possessions at halftime. You're functioning with a different game if Clemson takes a third-quarter lead then adds on to it their next drive. The red zone is what determines how close games get decided in a lot of times, and I think that what I'm saying here is both these teams are going to move the ball. Mm. I'll even give that to Cal. They're going to move the ball. Auburn's not going to three and out them to death. So the issue is if, if Jay Knott's already had five carries for 35 yards on the drive, if Cal's already had eight plays, 50 yards, or, or 10 plays, four, 45, 50 yards, and they get to the Auburn 15, what does that look like from then on? Does Auburn look tired? Does Cal just move them right on the red zone, not even looking like Auburn – is an SEC team at that point? Or does Auburn stiffen up, hold the three? Because, again, I think that if Auburn can make Cal pass, Auburn will be in pretty good shape. I think that Auburn will make some plays on the pass rush. I think that they will make plenty of plays in the secondary. But that rush defense is what I'm going to be, what I and I think we all will harp on until it's not an issue. It was an issue last year. Now 83 things were issues last year. So it was not something worth harping on. But this team, I'm very – again, I I liked what I saw week one from the offense. I'm optimistic the offense will score 30 points a game, even in SEC play. What I don't know about is that middle of the defense, uh, particularly the front seven, particularly the rush defense. And until we get a definitive, you can stop talking about it now, here's two and a half yards of carry, then it's going to be the talking point. But I like what you say there because – In the red zone, Auburn felt like, to some degree, they needed that Robbie Ashford package. And it worked incredibly well, obviously. It worked as well as it could with three rushing touchdowns from Ashford and nine carries. But it almost did feel like if they had done other things, it might not necessarily result in a touchdown. There's a couple goal line fades that didn't work out. Hugh Freeze didn't like the decision-making on one of them. When they ran base run up the middle a couple times, it was successful, Successful a couple times it wasn't. And so it almost felt like, to some degree, the Astrid package was almost a crutch. And look, if you can successfully run that all year long, 
to that degree, it don't matter if it's a crutch because you're going to score out of it. But the reality is, is that to be able to successfully execute that package, other things will have to come off of that and they'll have to be damn good at that one thing. And I'm not sure that they can be that good all the time against all the teams in the league. So my question is, when they get in the red zone, yes, to some degree, does the Ashford package work? But also, can they score without it? Does it feel like it's a crutch at the end of the day? Or can Peyton Thorne make the tight window throw that you'd expect a quality quarterback in the SEC to make? Can they run the ball with, let's say, Jarquez Hunter plays? There's rumors that he will. We'll see. There was rumors last week he wouldn't, and he didn't. So maybe the rumors will be correct again that he will. But we don't know for a fact. But say Jarquez Hunter's in there. Can they run with just Peyton Thorne handing off to Jarquez Hunter or Peyton Thorne handing off to Damari Austin? That, that to me, will be a little bit telling, too, of how this offense will execute in tight areas because there's still some things true about Cal that are in a more negative form and fashion to Cal. Cal is still not overall as a team expected to be as physical as most SEC teams. Now, they might be able to do that in the ground game, but do they sacrifice some mobility to pass block? And then Cal's defense, while it did give up a couple big plays to North Texas, it ultimately stiffened. North Texas only had 225 yards, but they also and they also had three turnovers. Is Cal's physicality truly that of a top-tier SEC team on defense? I would lean towards no. I would be surprised if it was. I think Cal would be in store for a boom year if they could couple a really good run game with a surprisingly physical defense. I don't believe them to be having possession of a great physical defense. So, again, that's why it's important in the red area because it's harder to be creative when you have 10 yards of space. It's harder to make the passing game a big part of what you do. And to be fair, I think Auburn will be balanced. I think maybe the preference throughout the year becomes ground game just because of how good the running backs are. But it's harder to... Uh, be more diverse in the red area because of the the constraints on yardage. That's when running becomes a little bit more important. That's becomes when execution becomes a little bit more important. You got more people in a more crowded area. That's the whole reason we've spread out the offenses in college football is because we were playing nine and ten people in a box, and it was really hard to block nine or ten people and through I formations with tight ends. There's just not a lot of space to cover and account for it because it was so about physicality. Now with spread offenses, physical physicality still matters, but then speed matters, agility matters. Can your DBs tackle in space? DBs do not have to make tackles in space when you got millions of people in the box. Now, who misses most of your tackles? Your DBs, because they're out in space. You're relying on these bubble screens sometimes. You're relying on a defensive back to miss a tackle. And so... You can't do that as effectively for spread offenses when you're inside the red red area, inside the red zone. So I just spent like five minutes affirming the point that you made, Brooks. But again, I think that's a relevant point to this game in which, again, I think it'll be higher scoring than what the Vegas line thinks. I think it's still over under 55. By the way, for what it's worth, Cal North Texas, their over-under was 53.5 with Cal favored by 5. Cal won by 37. They scored 58. They scored more than the over-under on themselves. So I don't know if the 
there's been much of an adjustment to what they did in that game, but they were certainly not anticipated to score 58 points and win by 37. That's the whole reason why we're now offering a little bit more respect to Cal and not just saying, hey, Auburn's going to win this game by X amount of points. We're now saying Auburn should still win this game. They need to win this game. But they will be tested in some ways, and I don't think that they'll just bulldoze Cal all of a sudden and win by 20 or 30 points. We're going to take our first time out of the first hour of the show. When we come back, we'll break down Auburn Cal a little bit further. And a little bit later, we will get to some of the other matchups across the country, especially in the Southeastern Conference, where there's four to five really good ones, even outside of the Auburn Cal games. We'll get to those a little bit later. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the show. If you want to give us a call today on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. All right, first segment we previewed a little bit about uh, Auburn in the red zone, Auburn's rush defense against Cal's rush offense. Let's talk a little quarterback here, Brooks. Peyton Thorne. Second game for the Tigers, 10 of 17 in game one. Not a whole lot to digest. You freeze that he made three poor decisions ultimately. What are you expecting? What do you need to see from Peyton Thorne here against Cal? Uh, against Cal, uh, I think he needs to read the defense well. Uh, I'm again, I, I think my theme of the day may be defense here. Um, but be, because of how. Like I said, how, how disciplined Cal's, de- how Cal's defense is going to be, how, how ready, prepared Justin Wilcox always has his defenses, how they, they're just really good, they're going to be in their positions, um, is for Peyton Thorne to read the defense well. Because like, he, like I said earlier, and like you free said earlier in the week, they're not trying to fool you. They're not trying these exotic stuff. You, If you've watched film, and uh, Peyton Thorne, notable, that he's always in the film room, always ask, calling coaches and asking about stuff on film, if you you know if you've read and watched the film on this Cal defense, you know what they're going to be doing. You know where they're going to be going to be at, and so they're not trying to fool you or anything. They're not trying to do these exotic stuff. So if you're Peyton Thorne, you got to read that well. Don't make mistakes. Don't create turnovers because you know it's Auburn's favored by six right now in this game, and you know much like we said, the red zone is going to be a big uh, is going to be a, a big factor in this game. The turnover battle is going to be a big factor, especially if you know say you turn the ball over. And the uh, Cal takes it back and scores. That could be those six points that you were just uh, favored by turned right around on top of you. So if, if you're Peyton Thorne, um, it is just you know 
going from a, a, a complex defense that's trying to fool you, that's trying to disguise what they're doing, to a defense that's not trying to do that. And if you've watched film, you know what they're going to be doing out there. Just read it, read the defense, make the play. Don't try to force anything. Don't try to say, oh, well, they're going to be in this, so let me tr- throw it over here because it you, you, you're trying, you know, you just have to make the, the simple plays. Just don't overthink it. Don't try to over-adjust. Hugh Freeze talked about that too, is that he felt like, couple times Peyton Thorne made a mistake Q Freeze talked about it and then he tried to over adjust a little bit I, I think that you if you just go out there you you're you know expert you know you're well, not expert but you're you're reading the defense well you're making right decisions and if you make a mistake don't try to over adjust the next time I think that that uh, that's, should be an x factor to uh, tomorrow evening for Peyton Thorne we're going to go to our orthopedic clinic phone line for the first time today 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free one triple eight nine at Tiger Nine. First up today, Daryl from Auburn. Daryl is with us. Daryl, how are you this afternoon? Hey guys, I've already got my game day plan going. Excellent. What uh, what would that be? Well, you know, I, I work at a little restaurant downtown. I do that from seven to two, and then it takes me about. Uh, you know how it is. You know when you get off work from a restaurant or establishment it takes you about three or four hours to wind down take a nap and uh i'll take a little bit of that and then uh i should be up and ready uh only thing i missed about last weekend and i'm looking forward to this game is uh, i don't want to hit a sense of sport uh sore spot but uh i bet some of the local sponsors that you guys had on your sister station oh yeah yeah sure well yep. I'm, I'm a guy you know I get all my information on the radio, uh, and then any little change just kind of throws me off. Yeah, it's, you know? a, it's a bit of a bit of a habit breaker. Well, yeah, you know, and and the other radio station they got some other local sponsor. I'm like, who the heck is that? You know? Oh yeah, we got butcher beef bar. Uh, fine cuisine and we're at such and such place i'm used to hearing you know the butcher block or southeastern land group and i don't know if anybody else shares in that with me but uh and then you guys had the uh contract how long did y'all have the contract for uh football yeah several several years um it, it has gone back and forth from time to time but uh definitely several years yeah you know and, and i've been listening to you for that long and then that contract doesn't extend to the baseball or uh, basketball season, does it? Uh, it? It does. It's for it's for all the major sports. Oh, man. Okay. Well, give them an extra $10,000. Maybe you get the extra contract for next year. How about that? Maybe so. Maybe so. Anyway, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to listen to your show today. and um, So you don't think we're going to be a, as highly – favored blowout as last weekend yes uh I, I think that auburn should still expect to win but uh they're only favored by six points so uh i think they can cover that spread i think they can win by two possessions but i don't think it'll be a 30 or 40 point game anything what we saw last week well i listened to the whole program i, I got called on an emergency call when uh third string quarterback came in so i missed that part of it but i just enjoy hearing all the guys had an opportunity to play, you know, just like a a, a a televised scrimmage, you know. So, you know, 
But uh, my thought is at least nobody last week, nobody was injured or had any season. Uh, you know, I'm sure we have some sprains and bumps and bruises, but uh, all, all to the uh, staff for uh, coaching them and um, you know, avoid contact, uh, not contact, but uh, injuries, you know. Yeah, there there was one injury of significance last week uh, with Austin Keys. He had a thumb surgery, so he's gonna be out for a little while. But uh, everybody else and and they had some players sit out of that game that are gonna be healthier this week and are expected to play. So they are getting healthier as a whole. Okay, well I'll be looking forward to not listening to you guys, but the other guys, you know. But uh, I want to listen through the analysis today and then take it into the night. Absolutely, sounds like a plan. All right, bye. Appreciate the phone call, Daryl. That is uh, Daryl from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line right there. Again, if you want to give us a call, 334-887-3401 or toll-free 1-889-TIGER-9. Yeah, again, uh, Austin Keys was the one significant loss from that uh, UMass game. Uh, had a uh, thumb injury, which did result in surgery out indefinitely, so don't know uh, when or if he'll be making his return this year, but... Uh, again, Jarquez Hunter, somebody that uh, was out for game one that, again, is being rumored to be available for game two. Also has had some other injuries like Nick Marner, Jalen McLeod, who have made progress in practice. Again, Hugh Freeze really does not uh, discuss injuries that much, a little more tight-lipped about it than even maybe the average coach. So some of those will become uh, more revealing uh, at, at or near game time. But uh, it's still, in general, Auburn has progressed in the health department over this past week. It was also interesting. I think it was the Big Ten a week or two ago report came out that they were moving towards mandating injury reports, which is very NFL-like. But if you seek information, then I, I think that you would overall be in favor of that because, well, again, I, I'm sorry, but can't tell you with a bunch of absolutes some of these guys that will or won't play uh, and even the beat writers have an idea, but uh, are, are not fully sure. So having injury reports can give you a little bit more information, although, uh, to be fair, some coaches could just slap down questionable and call it a day <laughs> for, for most of them. We were talking a little bit about Peyton Thorne prior to that phone call. Uh, you know, Brooks going with the route of, hey, you know, make sure you take care of the ball. That's something that Hugh Freeze also has talked about. Make sure you take care of the ball. Turnovers are a big deal. You saw that last night in the NFL game, that a interception that was not even the quarterback's fault, Patrick Mahomes' fault, uh, became basically the difference in the game. It was a one-point game, and lack of catching the passes was a big deal for Kansas City, not only then, but other times. So uh, certainly turnovers can influence things a lot. They influenced things a lot in that Clemson-Duke game on Monday night. And I think on the road, turnovers become uh, maybe amplified because you make a turnover at home, and there's a bit, a little bit of shock value, depending on what the turnover was, where it was, etc. But then you get the home crowd back. And after a play or two, home crowd's back with you and trying to, to get you back off the field. You turn the ball over on the road, and it feels like it could snowball. And you were about to score now. The other team can go down and, and completely flip the field, or you turn over your own end, you, you gift wrap points. 
And so the turnovers do feel a little bit more important for the road team usually. There's also been a lot been made about the road environment that Auburn's going to have. The stadium seats about 60,000. Uh, that's obviously not what the bigger stadiums in college football or in the SEC seat, but it, it's still bigger than, than uh, well, Vandy's not saying much, but <laughs> it is as big as some of the smaller SEC stadiums. Like I think Vaught Hemingway's in the 50s or 60s and uh, Starkville and uh, Lexington, all 50s, 60s, somewhere in there. So it's like playing a bottom bottom quarter, bottom third SEC stadium. And also the question is just how many Auburn fans are there. And I know some people are quite bullish on it. They think that it'll be 50-50 or even more Auburn fans. I would not go there. I think Auburn will have a very real and palpable uh, presence. I do not think it will be 50%. I think it will be maybe 25%, maybe you know, 15,000, maybe maybe even 20,000 of the 60. Uh, I, we, we have a couple buddies from, from college that live out there that are, are, are going to be in attendance. So it's a unique opportunity, and Auburn's very much still a, a worldwide, uh, but, but certainly a nationwide school and, and brand. So uh, you will have some alumni out there that, again, take take that opportunity seriously. But, again, I would not – I would not say half. I would I would say a, a real percentage, but not half. Uh, so that'll help the road environment too. Uh, and we'll get into this a little bit later too. It's also a part of just kind of an important list of SEC games this week because the SEC did not have a very good week one. Just didn't. It, it lost some uh, really really the biggest matchups, and uh, you know the the ACC had a, a good week and. Not trying to sound any alarms, but certainly SEC wants to take back some some ground and some momentum there. On the Peyton Thorne topic, one more time, though, before we get a break. I'm curious to see when this is the first game you really are going to have situations that matter a lot. I'm interested to see who Peyton Thorne trusts. And, again, that rotation at wide receiver – to where does he have an early favorite? Does Hugh Freeze have an early group of three to four receivers he wants to stick to? Because they got to play, Daryl mentioned, they got to play a lot of people on uh, last Saturday. Do they still go eight, nine wide receivers throughout the game, or do they shorten that up at all? I'm curious to see that part of it too. Yeah, and you know that, that's when you're really going to look at that, that uh, how the wide receiver room has come along here for – uh, for the uh, this Tigers team, um, when when you look at like you were saying, who Peyton Thorne kind of gravitates to, who's got more more chemistry with on, uh, when it comes to a big situation, uh, who and you know in, in some factors, who does uh, Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery trust to throw the ball to? Because you're going to have some some situations where they're going to call a play, and you're looking, you know, especially with this Hugh Freeze offense, it's very similar to Gus Malzahn's offense, where you're going to be looking for a specific person. And if, if that person's not open, that person's not there, it's they're the quarterback, uh, whoever it may be, Robbie Ashford or Peyton, more, more than likely Peyton Thorne in these situations, um, it's, you know, who, who or they got they have to tuck it and run. So uh, I really like that point, Ryan, that, you know, you're, you're really going to see who, who's built up the most chemistry in, that, in the practice in the offseason who Peyton Thorne trusts the most to go up and get a get a football, and uh, and and like I said, who 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 Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery may trust in some certain situations, right? Because I mean, every quarterback, it, it's kind of like parenting a little bit. 
everyone has their favorite. They might not say it out loud. They may swear that they don't. But there's one kid they treat a little differently. There's one per there's one kid that just apple of the eye, a little bit bigger apple. And so with quarterbacks, it's it's the same thing a lot of the times. It's there's a wide receiver that's short. If they're if they're all, you know, if someone gets open, he's throwing it. Can't be judicious about that. But if they're all open, there's one receiver he trusts a little bit more. And I don't know if we're to that point yet in week two, to be fair. But I'm just curious to see like if things are covered. Because that's really more recently. Usually you don't have three wide receivers running wide open. That's Would love that. That's usually not how it works. If there's a bunch of receivers covered and Peyton Thorne doesn't throw the ball away, he does still try to force it in there to somebody or, or give a 50-50 opportunity to. Who is that to? Is it to Shane Hooks? Uh, is it to Jair Shorter? Is it to Jay Fair, who had a really productive first game? Five catches, 56 yards. I'm not going to go off of one game against UMass and say Jay Fair is the favorite target, but Jay Fair has to be up there uh, based on what we saw in the first game. And then, of course, I want to see that, hey, Auburn did not ultimately get to throw the ball a lot. I think they had 25 passes in the UMass game, only 17 by by Thorne. So is that really a true representation of everything they're going to do in the passing game? No, it's not because they had really two-to-one rush attempts to pass attempts. Again, not surprising, but I think there's more questions to be answered there. So defensively, like we've said all week, you focus on Auburn's rush defense, but offensively, I expect a certain level from the running backs. I want more questions answered in the passing game this week. I think Auburn can still win with average quarterback play with an average passing attack, sure. But it would be nice to see them flex some things and show off a couple of really good receivers and good moments from Peyton Thorne and, and that sort of thing. So I think that's another element to watch out for. Uh, tomorrow night at, uh, again, 9.30 Central Time. We're going to take our final timeout of hour number one. A few more thoughts on Auburn Cal. And a little bit later, again, coming up, some good stuff coming up at the SEC this weekend. We'll talk about all that and more next. into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the show. That's me. That is you indeed. 
Uh, you're also going to be out at Borgard High School a little bit later tonight. Rolling as, in uh, there on two wheels, baby. Our high school season continues tonight. Borgard and Valley coming up. 6.30 airtime right here or shortly after Tiger 95.9 with a kickoff just after 7 o'clock. So that's a nice region matchup for the Borgard Hornets. Again, Brooks Childress, also who is the host of the High School Coaches Show, will be out there with Tim Sin and the Borgard guys uh, tonight. Again, don't forget, over on FM Talk 93.9, the voice of the Smith Station Panthers, Brant Daughtry, will be in Prattville for Smith Station at Prattville. Uh, that coverage, again, begins 6.30 or shortly thereafter with kickoff at 7 o'clock. And after the conclusion of that one, stay tuned to FM Talk 93.9 tonight for the AHSAA Radio Network scoreboard show. That is at 10 o'clock until midnight. You can catch up on scores from this area and from across the state. Six or seven minutes left here in the first hour of the show. We've been previewing Auburn and California as, again, a unique uh, test for Auburn uh, to be able to go cross-country like this. I was a little disappointed. Let me offer a brief opinion here. I was a little disappointed to hear Hugh Freeze say that he was not fond of this kind of trip and not really looking forward to it. That was something he would not have scheduled if he was here. Uh, of course, we're making it a bigger and bigger habit in college athletics to listen to this, I, how ironic this is. We're making a habit in college athletics of scheduling these non-conference opponents seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 years down the road. Well, we don't even know what the hell the conferences are going to be in seven or eight, nine years. I mean, again, this year, Auburn's playing a Pac-12 team in Cal. Next year, they're playing an ACC team in Cal. <laughs> uh, when they scheduled UCLA, it was a Pac-12 matchup, more SEC Pac-12 action. Now that's a Big Ten team that Auburn's playing in, in like 2027, 2028. And I, again, just, just talking about things that are not adding up, I feel like that's an obvious one. But I was a little disappointed to hear that's uh, not exactly fond of this if Hugh Freeze is the coach long-term here and, uh, again, affects scheduling long-term, uh, then you're probably not doing uh, these big trips again. I, Auburn's got home-and-homes with Cal, Baylor, uh, and with UCLA lined up in the coming years. I think you'd be okay with a trip to Texas, question mark, something like Baylor. But, again, if you're looking for stuff on the West Coast – Really take the heart this Cal opportunity and then the UCLA opportunity in, in, in four or five years because I'm not sure that, again, we're going to assume the best or hope for the best and say Hugh Freeze will be here a long time and is very successful. If he is, again, uh, reading between the lines of what he said this week, not exactly going to be thrilled to go back out to a, a long road trip, a long West Coast road trip like this. So I was a little disappointed in that. Uh, but, again, uh, this, this Cal team – offers Auburn a, a, another, I don't want to strictly label warm-up, but it, it is essentially that when it comes to this is really the only game you got until you're thrown in the fire at A&M, host Georgia, at LSU, host Ole Miss. That four uh, is so difficult. The last thing Auburn can afford to do is is lose this game to Cal. Yeah, they'll get Samford next week. They'll go back up above 500, but – then you're going to be really fighting uphill, especially if that A&M team gets it together. They have an important game that we'll talk a little bit more about uh, later in the show today against, against Miami, a, a game that was very yucky last year, very much a slog, but resulted in about A&M's only triumphant moment of the year. 
so that one's important to try and figure out a and a little bit. But but nevertheless, this Cal game got a little bit more respectable by what they did from North Texas, but it also got a little bit more just back burner, a little bit more nervous because Auburn just simply can't afford a loss to Cal if it has if it wants to have a, a nice first impression, nice first year uh, with Hugh Freeze. Brooks, when you're thinking about these non-conference games, and I th- we've, I've asked certain people this over the last couple of weeks. I don't know if I've asked you directly this. If you have, forgive me. We can, we can go through it again. What is the proper type of non-conference game? Like now that this game feels a little bit more losable, not that you should lose it, but the chances maybe were 10% coming the year. Now they're 20 or 25 do you like that kind of game with the non-conference? Do you like a game where you're you feel like you are fighting uphill that you might be the underdog in? Do you just like a huge matchup to kind of be the center of the attention in college football in week one or week two? Like, like if you had your preference, if you were scheduling, if you were an AD, what kind of game would you be looking to schedule in the non-conference? Um, so if you know you, you've got as of right now at least you've got four non-conference games, and so I would be you know if, if I'm scheduling a non-conference. Here's how I would set it up. I would set up a couple games with a group of five schools that you know you're probably going to be favored in. You can beat, um, but it's you know it, it, they're not going to be pushovers. You know, they, it, like a like you know they, they're they're names that people recognize, and uh, you're you're probably like I said you're probably going to be favored in, uh, probably going to win, but it, it's at least a name that people you know on the uh, leading up to and says. Well, maybe we put this team on upset watch because they're playing Boise State or they're playing Fresno State, something like that. Um, I'm putting in uh, one of those could also fall into this other this another category is I'm scheduling a state school probably. I'm scheduling you know if I'm if I'm Auburn I'm, I'm looking at Troy I'm looking at UAB South Alabama Alabama State Alabama A&M Samford Jacksonville State I'm looking at those schools. Uh, and potentially uh, trying to get some uh, one of those. Uh, if if I've got two group of five opponents that are you know already scheduled, I'm probably looking at the the lower level, the Sanford, Alabama State, the Alabama A and M to help with the the you know you c- I could say this, but it's like oh you're just looking for an easy win, but it's it, yes, but also looking for a uh, way to help the other programs in the state by giving them a, a financial boost. Then I'm looking for a marquee Power Five matchup. Um, I'm looking for, you know, maybe not a cow level, but something like up above the cow level. Say, you know, like a few years ago, you did the Oregon game, but I'm, and, uh, you, you've got the Baylor game on the horizon. You've got, uh, the Miami game on the horizon. Those are the types of other games I'm looking for as a big game. That's going to capture national attention. And I'm targeting the home and homes because I'm, you know, I, I like the neutral site games, but I want to be able to let my, let the fans have the experience of like, you know, this year, going to Cal Berkeley. A few years from now, going to Waco, going to Miami, going to uh, the Rose Bowl out in, in L.A. I, I want to give the fans a chance to go experience more college football venues around the country uh, and and show what the SEC uh, fan base is to those, those other schools. Uh, but also, like I said, get the get the national attention on you and, you know, not, not let it be like, a, you know, Auburn versus Boston College. That's not going to turn a lot of heads. Like, if, if – you know, this if Auburn was in a better position, maybe this Auburn Cal game would get a more few more heads turned, and it's going to get a few because it's the only game really on at nine thirty, the biggest game on at nine thirty time slot. But uh, when it comes to like that Oregon game, I know it was a neutral side game, but it turned heads. 
that uh, Washington game a couple years ago in Atlanta, it turned heads. Uh, the Penn State game, both of the Penn State games turned heads. And so I'm looking to get a to to do home and homes with a with a Power Five team that's going to get the heads turned on the national stage and say, "Wow, this is look at circle this like Alabama, Texas this year, last year, and this year." You're everybody's wow. Look at that. This you know you've already circled it. That's where game day is going to be week two. Guess what? Game day's there week two. So um, that's the type of games I'm looking for. So and again, the, as you said, you you gave me a four team layout. The irony is again we're almost certainly going to get to nine conference games at some point in the 2020s, and uh, then we'll only be doing three of those. Again, I, I go back and forth. It's a, it's a cop-out answer, and you didn't go cop-out answer, so good for you. Uh, if, if you're in a transition period, you want something that it's more doable. Like, like if Auburn had opened this year at USC, game one, that is trial by fire. Now look, USC's defense is not good, so maybe Auburn put up points. But that's not how you how you want to start a new coach, didn't you? Uh, at the same time, though, if you ske- if you continually schedule the lower portion of the Power Five on top of the other games that already don't excite people, well, then you've not generated much itch, uh, interest in what is either a third or a quarter of your season, depending, again, on the eight or nine-team conference schedule. So I think this is reasonable for year one, but I will certainly be hoping that, uh, as you mentioned, the UCLA's of the world, the Miami's of the world upcoming, I hope that they are competent teams that are uh, at least you know scratching the top 25 Uh, when those games come around. We are out of time for hour number one. Stay tuned in hour number two. We'll return to our orthopedic clinic phone line to open up the second hour. Also, a little bit later, we will get into some of these other SEC games, such as Alabama-Texas, Ole Miss-Tulane. Yes, that is a top 25 matchup. We'll talk a little bit about it and some others as you listen to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on another Football Friday as we get set for week two of college football, Auburn going to Berkeley to play California 
tomorrow night. Again, 9.30 kickoff for that one. I, I think I've said the time of that game more than I've said the time of – that I'm going to say the time for any of the games this year just because it, it takes a lot of sinking in. And, again, I'm personally just thrilled – so I have something real to watch. I am going to get up at probably like 10 a.m. <laughs> ACC Network, Wake Forest, Vanderbilt, and I'm going to care about football for more than 12 hours tomorrow. I think that's pretty pretty darn glorious. The ACC me. after dark never felt so good. <laughs> With California, yeah. Who would have thunk? 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, one tiger 9 to call us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Today we go to that Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Well, it's Friday, and we made it, guys. Brooks and Ron, we survived it. We did. We did. This is officially... No injuries. It's almost weekend time. Yes, sir. Injury-free. Indeed. Uh, I can't say about what may happen to me tomorrow night. But anyway, uh, how about this quote, guys? The less you say, the less you have to take back. Yeah, I mean, that's a good, uh, that's a good way to live by. Uh, who said it, guys? I don't know. The late, great Pat Dye. Okay. And I'm using that reference to the trash talking continue to go on uh, with the, uh, the Cal players. Unless you say, yeah, unless yeah, you have to co- uh, take back. Yeah. So anyway, well, let's uh, let's get started, guys. Uh, about the game tomorrow night, uh, we have more talent, but according to Mr. Philip Marshall's column, uh, that doesn't always get you a win. So, uh, what do you guys see as being the, uh, I guess, the the, the necessary uh, things uh, that uh, this team needs to do? Uh, in order to pull out a win. Yeah, so we talked about a couple of them at the the start of the show. The, the obvious one for everybody that that's very aware is is uh, is the rush defense against Cal's offense. And and look, I'm not even saying it needs to stymie Cal's rush attack. It just needs to have its moments. It needs to have uh, a third and two that it stops from time to time. It needs to create a tackle for a loss to make them pass from time to time. It doesn't have to be two yards a carry or something like that all game. It just needs to be uh, moment to moment and be able to have a few times where it comes up clutch. And then I think on the offensive side of the ball, something that Brooks brought up in the in the first hour is, is red zone ability. And uh, we saw Robbie Ashford's package a lot in the red zone against UMass. Will we see that again? Can Auburn score without needing to use that package? So, uh, again, I, I think that those two are the big things. There's there's things that apply to every game, like turnovers and, and keeping the crowd under control. Again, I think there will still be a, a real Auburn presence there. It will not be 50-50, but there will be a real Auburn presence there. Uh, so, so some of those things are given on road games, but I think the red zone, what how, how efficient can Auburn be in the red zone when they're on offense, and then can they have a couple key moments on the, on the ground attack when they're on defense? Okay. Um, obviously, to me, we need to be mistake as much as possible mistake-free, no unforced errors, uh, keep the penalties low. And we, I know you said 190, but I think our defense needs to hold their uh, rush yards to around 175. Sure, I mean that's not not a large difference there. I, again, I simply, yeah, you asked the other day to give me an uh, or right. give you over and under. So, yeah, no, I think if they're allowing uh, 
42, 43 carries for 170, 180 yards. And I think they're going to be pretty okay with that. Again, that is a lot of plays, a lot of carries. So I'd be curious what time of possession would become at that point. Uh, Hugh Freeze, again, talks about on, on Auburn's side of things, it's about yards per play and yards per carry and all that. Uh, so, you know, how many carries did they take to acquire that yardage? But, uh, again, I think that Cal will make some offensive plays in the run game. What you're trying to do if you're Auburn is prevent it from being all game and make sure that you don't give up anything in the pass game because Auburn's very capable at the secondary. It's a very good, good shot at, at limiting Cal significantly in the passing game. All right, guys, name for me one player on offense and one player on defense that you think needs to be a game changer. Uh, one player on offense, one player on defense that needs to be a game changer. Um, on offense, I think I'm going to go with Peyton Thorne. Uh, I, I think he's got to be a game changer for Auburn. He's got to be come in there. I, I talked about this earlier. He's got to be able to read that defense well. You know, it, Hugh Freeze talked about how it's not a uh, how it's not a uh, difficult defense to to understand. They they're very good at what they do, but they're not trying to fool you. So I think Peyton Thorne uh, for offense and then defense. Mm, oh gosh, I, I'm not going to name one player. I'm going to say uh, the defensive line because I, I think that they need to get in there and, and like Ryan was talking about, get some pressure on the running back uh, on the running game and not let uh, not, not let Cal get you, you know, run all over you. I, I, so instead of one player on defense, I would say the, the entire defensive line. You said, okay, you said a uh, player on right. offense ain't on defense, Steve? Right. I would say it's Kevin Falk on defense. Uh, yeah, Keldrick yeah. Falk. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, he was someone that definitely stood out, uh, even though it was not a lot of playing time. I'll be curious to see how much he rotates in. I was just going to go with a with an injury at linebacker. I was going to go Eugene Asante. If you made me pick one on, on defense, he led the team in tackles last right. week and, and got in the backfield a couple times. He slash Donovan Kaufman playing around the line of scrimmage will be very important in the run game. Now, the big, big elephant in, in the room again, uh, we know, or at least according to Nathan King and Jason Caldwell, that Mr. Cravis uh, Hunter uh, was on the airplane now. I'm begging the question here, okay? If you have a player taking up space on an airplane, um, why would you do that but have no attention to play him? Right, and again, I think many people would, would ask that question. Again, I, I talked about earlier in the week, again, the college travel mandates are far different than the NFL. and with Right, but the, what right. I'm saying, Ryan, why would you want him on the airplane if you have no attention at all? Because you want to make up? him feel like he's still part of the team because he is, and – you know, you leave somebody behind, then again, it just it it, it feels like a less unifying experience. And uh, you know, he's still going to be a part of the plan at some point. So, or else he would just be completely off the team. So, I, I think that it's still to make sure he's included because you're going to need him at some point. But again, I so I if you made me pick, I think he's going to play. Uh, I mean, again, I I think that. Uh, it was probably a one-game suspension that was just quiet and behind the scenes that, of course, none of the media was able to report or or that sort of thing. Uh, again, if you made me pick now, to be fair, I was wrong last week. I thought he'd end up playing last week. I, again, I was wrong on that, and I'll, I'll admit to that. But I, I think that, again, your logic in that if, you, if you're taking someone on the plane, don't you think there's a good chance he's going to play? Yes, I think there's a, a good chance Jarquez Hunter is going to end up playing. So let's say he doesn't play. And uh, let's say he doesn't play 
against Sanford. Surely by then he will be playing in his first SEC game, Yeah, right? If he's not playing by A&M, that's when I will start to say I don't know what he's doing on the team anymore other than that they just have an investigation that they are still going on somehow and that they won't make it they won't allow him to play until it's concluded but that's again I that that seems far fetched I again I yes if he's not playing by A&M then I will be confused and I will not understand and and it will it'll be hard to figure I right. about up close personal uh column on Mr. Keontae Scott have you read uh the column on him today I don't think we have. Well, uh, apparently his family is from the Berkeley area. And tomorrow night, his grandfather is having a birthday. I'm reading it here. So uh, they're going to surprise him by taking him to see Keontae Scott play. He doesn't know, though, that Keontae Scott is going to be playing. He just, they just tell they're going to a football game. Oh, really? Okay. So how about that? Yes. Uh, so I thought, well, that was pretty cool. So he's going to be taking the game. He doesn't even know, you know, that Keontae Scott's going to be playing in the game. Uh, apparently, he doesn't know what the uh, who, who the teams are they're playing, and so it's his birthday. They didn't say how old it is, but that's uh, what I read about that. So Keontae Scott is apparently uh, from the uh, uh, Berkeley, uh, uh, I guess, San Francisco area around there, right? Yeah. So hopefully, so hopefully he has a uh, a big moment then. Yeah. Uh, now, maybe troubling, but not, you know. You know, you know, I, I get sometimes a little bit too, uh, I guess, suspicious of things. Uh, I call it constructive paranoia. Uh, but two of our supposedly commits are, or maybe, uh, according to uh, Duke, uh, who's Duke Scoops here on 247, going to possibly attend the Texas Alabama game on Saturday. One of them is none other than Mr. Riddick. Sure. Yeah. Now, they said... Not to worry that he loves Auburn. Okay, well, I know somebody had an AU, an AU tattoo on their arm, too. Uh, and then Blockton, I think is that his name? Uh, he's a three-star commit. He's going to be there. And they said that he loves Auburn. Okay, then, uh, okay, tell me why they would go, just for the, the heck of it, or for, for the big game? Yeah, I mean, you get – I mean, you get uh... – you get to have a, an experience. You basically get carted around town like you're, you know, a big deal. And kids go on visits after committed to other schools all the time. I mean, it again, it is it's certainly something that continues to happen, and it's part of the reason why the recruiting process is never really over. Some guys, again, just again do it j- just for fun. But yeah, I mean, that's that's not unique here. I mean, other schools commits will go to other schools and. Uh, it, 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 yeah, the visits keep going. And finally, guys, was I shocked? I woke up this morning, didn't watch the darn game. I saw a video clip. I said, "Come see, guy, what in the heck happened? Twenty-one or twenty Detroit lines? Yeah, and you remember I told you that Mister Quarterback uh, Man uh, was what five and zero? Right. Okay, that no longer. What happened, guys? Yeah, no. Kansas City dropped a lot of passes, and uh, the the interception in air quotes was a pass that was right in the bread basket of Kadarius Tony. He dropped it, and by dropping it, I mean it popped up into the air, and it was picked off by Brian Branch in return for a touchdown. So the receivers seemed like they were almost actively against Kansas City last night. It was it had nothing really to do with Mahomes. It was. Uh, really poor wide receiver play, and 
Again, the Lions only really scored uh, 14 offensively. They moved the ball and stuff. They had some nice moments. But, again, I, it, I it's about as, as about as much of a wide, as a wide receiver can cost a team a game. Well, that's why I'm so darn glad I don't bet. Yeah. Well. Because I, I would have gone with that trend. I said, no, there's no way you're going to lose at home, right? Yeah, but, again, that's, that's why you do it. That's why we play it. Yeah. Uh, those Vegas people sometimes make me think, what do they know? But uh, finally, oh, I said finally, uh, Miss Coco is going to go to the, the finals. Is that right? Yeah, Coco Golf, yep. Okay, and that's Saturday? Uh, yeah, Saturday night. Afternoon. Saturday night. Or afternoon, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. And speaking of that, congratulations. Uh, apparently, I read uh, earlier this morning that Disney caved in. Excuse they're me? Going to allow, Disney caved in. I read this morning they're allowing uh, ESPN uh, to be broadcast again in their feud uh, with, uh, uh, I guess, with uh, who, who Spectrum? Yeah. I have not. So you're going to get ESPN. Uh, I've not read that. Uh, Brooks is looking it up. I, where where yeah, did I you see that? This morning, uh, it was a headline on my uh, one little blog came up and said uh, Disney uh, has decided to relent, and apparently it was due to uh, a lot of the tennis players at the U.S. Open complaining that when they went to the hotel they couldn't see uh, any ESPN uh, tennis matchups or other games. Yeah, I I don't Steve. I, I I'll be honest with you. I mean, I I. I'm not aware of that, and I I don't think that that's so the you case. Been notified. Uh, well, no, it maybe is it restricted maybe only to the New York uh, area. I mean, I, I guess that's possible, um, but no, I mean, there, I can I can speak with almost certainty right now. There is no agreement between Charter Communications and, and Disney as of right now. Okay, Brooke, did you have a chance to uh, confirm or not on what I said I, I read this morning? Uh, I've, I've got a, uh, the only thing that I've found is a headline from the Hollywood Reporter that says ESPN gives tennis players at U.S. Open access to streams of matches amid charter spectrum blackout. Uh, oh, so, yeah, that's just special access to them then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, just only for them? Yeah, only for the tennis players, yeah. Wow. Yep. Uh, so they get special uh, uh, dispensation here? Yep. Yeah, it, it's a source confirmed to the Hollywood Reporter that the company has provided access to a number of players as well as some on-air talent and others covering the U.S. Open who have been unable to watch matches due to this due to the dispute, thanks to Charter being the dominant cable operator in New York City. Okay, so maybe uh, you guys might want to call uh, Disney, whatever, <laughs> and tell them, "Hey, you're a cousin. You're related. Yeah, uh, to one of the tennis players. You know." Yeah. Okay. I, I should say that. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. Well, uh, that's all I got, guys. Uh, so uh, I take it you're going to be staying up to one o'clock in the morning tomorrow. Amen. Absolutely. Two o'clock, three o'clock, if necessary, whatever it takes. Please, not two o'clock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. You guys have a safe afternoon and evening. Enjoy your weekend, and hopefully, we'll talk about a successful uh, game of the win on uh, come Monday. Yes, sir. But uh, no matter what, guys, uh, War Eagle. War Eagle. We appreciate the phone call, Steve. That is retired Ward Am Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to take our first time out of the four o'clock hour. Back for more sports call right after this.
Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Welcome back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the program. If you ever miss Sports Call Live, or if you want to hear something again, make sure you listen to the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. Again, you can listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts. That includes SoundCloud, Google Play, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, and the Tiger Communications app. Enjoy the ice-cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports song, Coca-Cola. Taste the feeling. All right, we've uh, had a, a good solid hour or so more of uh, Auburn Cal preview. We'll uh, we'll get back to some more of that in the 5 o'clock hour. Let's get to some of these other games across the Southeastern Conference this week, in particular the four to five games that are, are actually pretty intriguing and are really some of the biggest games of the weekend. We've not really – Grambling seen, LSU, right? Uh, yeah, certainly not that one. Um <laughs> They really kind of make up four or five of the top, I'd say, seven or eight games of the weekend. There is uh, a little Texas Tech-Oregon, which is, uh, by the way, a weird line on that one. Texas Tech lost to Wyoming, yet they're only six-point underdogs at home against Oregon. That that felt a little fishy uh, to me. Uh, and there's a couple others like Notre Dame-NC State. That's going to be an interesting one. That one's going to be at Carr-Finley and, uh, and Raleigh. And uh, first kind of test for Notre Dame. So there's some other, you know, decent games. But really some of the top games are here in this conference. And uh, we'll start with the one that's going to be the game of the week. Number three, Alabama. Number 11, Texas from Bryant-Denny Stadium. Alabama and Texas both had pretty uh, much lesser opponents last week. Bama had Middle Tennessee. Texas had Rice. This was a surprisingly down-to-the-wire game last year. Uh, and the Quinn Ewers injury certainly seemed to have an effect because Texas uh, was still hanging in there after him but was making a couple really explosive plays with him. Big moment for him. Uh, what do you see being the, the story inside of Bryant Denny Stadium on Saturday? I think it's going to be the quarterback play, uh, and that's not a very you know, uh you know, out there comment, not a, not a very like, oh, you're really reaching in the bag for uh, tricks of this one, Brooks. Uh, but no, it's the quarterback play. It's Quinn Ewers versus Jalen Milrow. I mean, Milrow last week for Alabama did something that no Alabama quarterback has ever done. Uh, Quinn Ewers, uh, casual, what, 263 touchdowns last week uh, in their game against Rice. Uh, so it, it's really which quarterback is going to play better in, in this. And I know, you know, you know, both defenses are are very stout. You know, especially Alabama's defense, they they are continue to just replace all the talent that goes to the NFL with more and more NFL caliber talent. But it's it's going to be how the quarterback plays, and especially when you know last year you had a, a Bryce Young at Alabama into, you know, you go into a hostile environment there in Austin, Texas, and was able to gut out a win there. Can Quinn Ewers? 
return the favor? Can he come into a, a hostile environment in, in Bryant-Denny Stadium uh, and, and gut out a win? Or will it be Jalen Milrow continuing to be the guy that we uh, that, that, that a lot of people thought he had the potential to be? Uh, but, you know, coming into the year, there was still that uh, – uh, leading up to when Milrow was named the starter, there was still the, is it going to be Milrow? Is it going to be one of these other quarterbacks that all Alabama has? Is it going to be Buckner? I know a lot of people, I myself, thought it was going to – it could have been Buckner because he was brought in so late that you're, you you know you looked at uh, Nick Saban and you said, well, he's bringing in a quarterback late. They must not be confident in what they have there if they're bringing a guy in th- this late. Uh, but maybe it was, you know, bring him in, push Milrow a little bit more. He got pushed into the starting job. Like I said, did something that an Alabama quarterback has never done uh, last week against Middle Tennessee. Um, it, but it's you know if it, it, it's going to be big big weekend for both of these quarterbacks um, and, and to see where we're at here because you know and and you know you know what you have in Quinn Ewers you know you got a very talented quarterback you know Jalen Milrow is also very talented but this is going to be Jalen Milrow's first big test Quinn Ewers has had some big tests already at Texas they they've had some big games that he's been in he's been. Uh, you know, big tests. Milrow, this is going to be his first test as the starting quarterback. He's been, he was put in some some games last year, but this is going to be his biggest test as a as the starting quarterback for Alabama, and we'll see if he can uh, can rise to the occasion under the lights on Saturday night. Yeah, of course, Jalen Milrow played a little bit last year, played in the A&M game, which ended up being surprisingly close in Tuscaloosa last year. There's no doubt the kid can run. He, he had a good first week. I mean, again, you're – you're never going to know everything you need to know from a team like Middle Tennessee. Uh, Milrose stat line, however, 13 of 18, 194 in the air, three touchdowns, no picks. He also ran seven times, 48 yards, two touchdowns. He is a heck of an athlete. And I think that's why Alabama went with him because, look, if Buckner or whoever had not or was not doing it in the air, was 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 had a turnover or just wasn't, reading the defense the way you need to, what else do they have? I, I hate to minimize it to you can throw and you can run because there's still more to the position than that. But at its base form, if you're not great in the passing game as a quarterback, well, then you better be able to run or what good are you at, at that point? And if those other guys were not a good bit better than Milrow, look, if things break down, Jalen Milrow can have Milrow can have a 60-yard touchdown run. Uh, and I, I think that that – Part of it, too, is something where, yeah, that's not the preferred skill set for Nick Saban quarterback, but he also understands that a lot of the quarterbacks for a while there that ended up being able to, to have success on Alabama up until the last year or two would usually be a guy that could run and, and that had that as a big part uh, of their game. It was usually not a statue quarterback um, when you think of all those times that they would lose to – uh, a Nick Marshall type, or they lost to uh, obviously really early on in it. They they lost to Manzel or Tebow or whoever. Usually there was a run element to it. Now the Stetson Bennett part when Georgia beat them, yeah, Stetson Bennett can move a little bit, but not really known for that. And and Georgia won that game in a different way. It was not all because of Stetson Bennett, and certainly not because of Stetson Bennett's legs. Uh, so, so that buck that trend, but even last year, the plays that Jane Daniels could make on the run uh, and running, the the plays that Hendon Hooker could make on the run. So, to a degree, there's always a running element in these type of quarterbacks. It's also why it makes Quinn Ewers interesting. We'll get to him in a second, but for Alabama, you know, they're kind of 
testing their waters into that a little bit because they don't think, or at least not coming into it, Milrow might become this, he might be this, we might just not realize it, but they don't think they have the throwing uh, prowess that they had for, I don't know, three quarterbacks in a row, uh, what they just turned out through Bryce Young, Mac Jones, and Tua. Uh, and I mean, they, they got pretty pretty spoiled there from the standpoint of all those guys to a degree were Heisman candidates. Uh, and with some Heisman uh, wins, too. So I, I think that they're just trying to figure out what their offense needs to be now. And obviously with new offense coordinator and Tommy Reese, I think they're going to run more, period. Um, I think that they will lean on guys like Roy Dell Williams and Jason McClellan a little bit more. And also it goes back into how physical can Texas be and can Texas hold up and, and some of the old kind of thought processes about SEC teams versus a Big 12 team. Uh, and on the Texas side of things, you know, Quinn Ewers has that boom potential. I mean, he has – when you see him sometimes, it looks about as good as it can look as a passer. It looks pretty effortless. He can throw the deep ball. He can he can zing it a little bit. He's got all all the talent there. It's just sometimes for whatever reason, it's not even it's not even deeply analytical or or anything like that. Just sometimes it's like he settles a little bit and it's just a little bit underwhelming and it's not explosive enough sometimes of where it can be when he's truly at his best. And so there's a big game potential in Quinn Ewers, but I don't know that we've seen it too often on big stages and to be fair you don't have too many big games quite like this I mean you don't play the number three team in the country every other week and in the big 12 I think there's only two other ranked teams right now on the schedule for Texas so again there's obvious comparisons there that are not going to be met but it's a big opportunity for Quinn Ewers because in my mind he's got the talent to be a top five quarterback in the country but no one thinks of him that way because he's not actually gone out and done it. It's not like it's been bad. It's not like he goes out there and you're you're looking behind him and you're you're like, is it Arch Manning time yet? It's not that. It's just that it feels like there's more to get out of him. And I'll be curious if not in this game, if just for the year in its totality, if Texas can eventually get that out of him. And look, this is going to be a conference game uh, in the future. This is the, again, with the ever-changing conference dynamics, uh, Alabama and Texas will be a big brand game in the SEC. Uh, but nevertheless, this is going to be pretty compelling just from the standpoint of I don't think that there were real deep thoughts of Texas winning last year, and they nearly did it. And I think it's going to be the same thing this year. But, look, if Texas can disturb Milrow, look, it's going to be hard to bring him down because he is so athletic, but – your hope is that you can rush the passer enough to force him into mistakes and that he throws an interception because he's rushed or he you know, throws it away too early as someone's getting open. That, that's Texas's path because if they're kind of passive, again, good quarterbacks will find people, but also he'll find running lanes. And, and, and if you're not aggressive with a lot of scrimmage, Alabama will run on him. And they won't even need Milrow to do a lot. So they have to be pretty aggressive at what they're doing and hope that they force Milrow into just kind of, I won't say rookie because he's not a freshman, but but almost rookie type of mistakes for the big game crowd. Bama is favored by seven. That is the, the ESPN game. That is game day. 
There's another top 25 matchup in the SEC, though. Boy, is it different in terms of brands. <laughs> and Boy, locations. And location and, and all of that. So three versus 11 there, Bama and Texas. The other ranked matchup, number 20 Ole Miss, number 24 Tulane. That is a 230 game. ESPN2 Ole Miss favored by seven. I have not checked the over-under. Do you want to take guess? Have you seen the over-under? I, I'm looking at oh, it right now, Brooks. yeah. Okay, I haven't looked at it yeah. yet. What should be a good over-under for Ole Miss Tulane? I, I, something in the 70s. 74? Is that your final answer? Yeah. The over-under right now, according to ESPN.com, is 66 and a half. Really? Yeah. That's 35-31. That's I don't know, man. Tulane defense. I, I you can. Uh, I don't know. The Tulane defense. It's still at the American. Can I just say this really yeah. quickly before we dive into this? Yeah. On ESPN.com, you know they give you the ticket prices. Yeah. They give you the the base level, like what the cheapest is. Alabama, Texas, right now, for, according to ESPN.com, 117 to get in the door. Okay. Ole Miss, Tulane, 101. Wow. Not not far off. <laughs> it's a hot ticket. It's also smaller venue, but hot ticket. It's it's an exciting game. Like this type of game, people might roll their eyes and be like, "I don't know if this matters that much." To be fair, yeah, unless Ole Miss has an incredibly boom season this year, yeah, it's not a matter for a playoff picture. It would next year. It, it could matter next year. Um, but I just think this can be a fun college football game. Oh yeah, I think it's just going to be worth the watch because of college football. Uh, this should be high scoring. Uh, this should be. You know, a a weird conundrum of how real was the Tulane victory against Southern Cal last year? A little bit of that in there. Tulane does have quarterback Michael Pratt back, which is no small thing for um, a school of Tulane size. Because look, even you have to fight off the uh, other teams in Portal. You have to fight off uh, fight off the tampering now. Michael Pratt in game one. Uh, I get that it was against South Alabama but was 14 of 15 for 294 and four touchdowns. So you tell me how that was supposed to be any better than that. Uh, and they run the ball well. They do play with some pace. I don't, I don't know, man. This is, this, I'm hoping this is a fun game. I, uh, I'll admit I still like uh, to root for the SEC in a lot of situations, so I still want Ole Miss to win, uh, even though Tulane is perfect team to root for. Ole Miss is not big, big and bad enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, take them down. If it was – if it was LSU, I might think differently. If LSU lost to Tulane, that would objectively be funny. Uh, but I, I really genuinely hope this is a fun game. Yeah, and you know, you, you look at it, like you said, Tulane coming off that Cotton Bowl win over USC. And last week to open things up, they took down, they, they handled a South Alabama team that's a lot of people think can, you know, make some noise and win the Sun Belt sure. Conference this year. And so you, you start things off on a very high note for Tulane uh, and Ole Miss. Uh, you know, they, they played Mercer, but they still, you know, putting up, what, 70, over 70-plus points on a, on anybody is is impressive. Uh, that, that's very hard to do, uh, and they just kept uh, they kept scoring last week. So it, it's going to be a fun offensive game. Uh, it, it's, you know, you're in a unique environment where it's going to, you know, you, you usually get these games in, you know, in, in Ole Miss at a big school. And no, Ole Miss has got to go down and play in New Orleans. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a fun trip for, for all the folks going down from Oxford to spend a weekend in New Orleans and have, have some fun down there, watch a good football game. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's, it's 
it's gonna like you said big offensive performance uh hopefully you see a lot of uh, a lot of scoring hopefully you you know 66 and a half hope you hit a little little on the over yeah. uh and, i want this 48 45 yeah uh and and so you know obviously sec you, you want them the sec to be more uh to be the dominant conference in college football but uh this is a, it's a good it's a good national stage for Tulane to to kind of broadcast their product out there because they they made noise last year they won that cotton bowl everyone's like oh Tulane and now you're back on the national stage and you get to you get to uh, show your stadium which isn't huge but it's a relatively new stadium in the terms of college football and it's recently opened uh, within the past 10 years I think it's been open in the past 10 years and you get to you get to broadcast your product in your university on an, on a national stage and, and not on somebody else's stage. Uh, do you have the capacity in front of you? Would I you do like, not. Would you like to guess the capacity? You see, I've been in that stadium for Sugar Bowl practices in 2016 when I was with Auburn football, and I you know I, I vividly remember sitting on top of the 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 TV box looking down the stadium, but I just don't know how many people were going to fit. Uh, twelve thousand. Whoa, that's that's very that's very small. Uh, you have to average like ten thousand or something to eight thousand to be an Appy school. Thirty thousand, okay, thirty thousand, yeah. But still, what I'm what I'm pointing at is that uh, a that's half the size of even Cal stating where Auburn's going out to. Uh, B uh, that's half the size of Bot Hemingway. It's also in the sixties. And C and it's still more than Vandy's this year. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's where you're going. Anyway, so that's a little bit about Ole Miss and Tulane. Uh, might bring that game back up in the uh, 5 o'clock hour of the Sports Call 5 at 5. But we're going to take one more time out here in this 4 o'clock hour. When we come back, we'll switch it back up, give you more, a couple more Auburn Cal thoughts. And then again, in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get back to some more of the, the other SEC stuff. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this sunny Friday afternoon. We've been having a lot of sunshine these last several of days. Be another perfect night for high school football coming up tonight, again, across our airwaves on Tiger Communications. Tiger 95.9 right here where you're listening at 6.30, Borgard and Valley, 7 o'clock kickoff over on FM Talk 93.9, Prattville and Smith Station. Uh, proud home of the Panthers over on FM Talk 93.9. And shortly after that one at 10 o'clock tonight, we'll have the Alabama High School Athletic Association scoreboard show. That will be on from 10 to midnight. And, uh, again, we're excited that all forms of football officially are back now that the NFL came back last night. We've been talking a lot about Auburn and Cal, also a little bit about some other SEC action. We'll get back to more of that in the final hour but some more Auburn and Cal here for you. Again, Auburn favored by about six. 
And that has been pretty steady uh, post-week one. The over-under at 55 still feels low to me. Uh, I, I understand that both teams run well, but just because you're a run team does not mean you're inherently slow. Uh, that would have been something maybe 20 years ago you would have subscribed to, but with the age of up-tempo offense, you can easily get four or five runs off in a minute just as, as well as anything. So I, I'm not sure I really would take the under on that. Do you do you feel differently, Brooks? Do you think it, it would be under? Because you know, 55 is what, like 28, 27? Yeah. I guess in a six-point spread it would be, what, 30, 31, 25, 30, 24, yeah. uh, 30, 25, something in there, uh, low 30s versus a mid 20 score. What do you, what do you think about that setup? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of like it. Uh, that That's, you know, later on in the show, uh, give you a spoiler alert, that's a, around where I may go for my, my score prediction for later in the show. Um, but I don't think it's, it's necessary. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily – the you know the, that these two teams are going to be slow. I think it's the uh, for me it's the lack of uh, you know provenness of both of these offenses against a bigger time opponent. You know Auburn scored in, in fifty plus last week against UMass, uh, and then Cal scored fifty plus last week against North Texas. Neither of those teams are, are really you know defensive powerhouses. They're not you know they're not the upper echelons of their conference or in UMass's case it's the country because they're an independent school. Um, and so I, that's where I would lean more is that I would you know go around that over under mainly just because I I just don't know how proven these two offenses this year are going to be against a bigger opponent. Um, and it's, it's going to be a, it's, it's, I'm trying to think how to, how to word this. Um, it's just the, not ineptness, it's, uh, ineptitude. It's just the, the, <laughs> the, the lack of knowledge ability. on, on these offenses, not, not ability, <laughs> the, the lack of knowledge on how these offenses do in the bigger situations, the bigger, the, the bigger stages here, uh, when you have a, a better opponent, you're going, that's what I'm looking for. You're having a better opponent you're going up sure. against rather than a group of five team that's middle to bottom of the, the league that they're in. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Again, Early in the season, it's it's hard to even know because like I'm still using like last year comparisons for North Texas versus UMass when I'm evaluating the teams, but also even if you have the same results from North Texas to UMass, they're still in such a lower level, especially UMass, and you can't just do apples to apples. That there's not really any true apples to apples because. I mean, it's 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 a week to week sport. If everything was a transitive property, then you would you would get a couple early results and mm. you'd use them for the rest of the year. And it, it doesn't work like that. I simply, you, when you just try to analyze how things uh, might lay out, you you it can be relevant to how those teams are. But again, there's so such lower tier teams. I just think it says something that, again, as I pointed out in the first hour, that Cal by themselves scored more than the over-under that they were projected in the North Texas game. Yeah. And they were only projected as like six or seven point favorites. They won by 37. So obviously there was some sort of miscalculation going into at least that game. But does that translate here? I don't I don't necessarily think so. I just think on the, the scoring side of things, I think these teams are going to be more capable. And again, Cal, Cal, it doesn't really matter that Auburn knows Cal is going to run the ball. 
Cal needs to start with that first and see if they can just out-execute Auburn around on the, on the ground game because, like, at the, like that's going to be their best best stuff. Is They are a run-first team. Sam Jackson, their quarterback, he will play, TC transfer, but didn't get to see much of him last week. I just think that, that even though Auburn knows that they're going to likely run the ball a lot, I think you got to make them stop it because it's been such a clear weakness. And also, I just think Auburn, I think it's, I think it's a strength. Like I don't even think it's just better than than bad rush defense. I think it's a, a true strength. Auburn secondary, the capabilities it has, and even I think it's to the point too where you're afforded the luxury of having a safety and Don McCoffman be able to be committed to the run game. Like usually, that that is not a guarantee for a safety to. Say, all right, I'm going to blitz a third of the plays, and I'm going to play around the line of scrimmage and really make all my tackles there. Usually it's not what safeties do. Of course, in Ron Roberts' defense, you're going to have people blitzing from everywhere, and, and I think Donovan Kaufman is a really good person to be doing that to. But uh, it is just interesting because you still don't know how to really do uh, much with week one information because you're still kind of basing it off, off of – some of last year's stuff, even at the lower levels, where, like I said, North Texas was a seven and five team that went to Conference USA's title game last year, and UMass was one and eleven. You know, I don't even know what what becomes of those two this year. They could very much be evened out, uh, and then again, it could not mean anything to do with uh, the Auburn and Cal results. So again, it would be uh, kind of running around in circles to to try to base those two things off. But, again, you, you got to take what you can, and Cal had a very impressive performance week one, and I think it's at least changed some minds on the type of game we're going to see uh, on Saturday night in Berkeley. We are out of time for hour number two, but stay tuned. One more hour to go in the 5 o'clock hour. We will have the Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeastern Land Group. That will be – uh, about college football, of course, will be about the rest of the SEC, five SEC games to keep an eye out for this weekend. A little bit later, we'll give our final predictions for the Auburn and Cal game. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9 FM, WTGZ, Tuskegee, Auburn, and AM620 WTRP, LaGrange. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. 
Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you here on this Friday edition of the program. We certainly appreciate you tuning in however you might be doing that. Uh, of course, we're at the top of the 5 o'clock hour now, so it's time for the Sports Call 5 at 5, and it's presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at selandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, we're going over five relevant matchups in the Southeastern Conference this weekend. We've already talked about a couple of them. We still have a couple more to talk about, so let's get to it now. Number one. That Alabama and Texas game, number three versus number 11 in the AP poll. Big matchup inside of Bryant-Denny Stadium. Rematch from last year where uh, Texas was able to take Alabama to the wire, but Alabama able to have a clutch drive, clutch kick to finish that one out. So Alabama and Texas should be a good one and is the game of the week this weekend. Number two. About to talk about this in just a moment. Texas A&M at Miami. Return trip for A&M after playing Miami to a close game last year. Texas A&M is in need of another quality win. And, and even though Miami has been struggling as a program for a while, not one that A&M really wants to drop this early in the season. Number three. A little bit of an under-radar game. Mississippi State and Arizona from Starkville. Mississippi State... Uh, pretty much crushed Arizona last year in Tucson. Uh, but but Mississippi State, obviously, with Zach Arnett now, going through a bit of a transition stage, tough place for their program to be in, and Arizona Jed Fish trying to steadily improve. Uh, that's one that Mississippi State can't take lightly, especially after week one, uh, although they did win decisively in the end, 48-7 to against Southeastern Louisiana. It did take a little while. It was only 10-7 to uh, with five minutes left in the second quarter before Mississippi State got up to 20-7 to after two, 27-7 after three. So Mississippi State got up to the score you want it to be. It just took a little longer than what's comfortable, so we're still trying to figure out what Mississippi State will be. So that's going to be an interesting one. Number four. An academic bowl of sorts, Vanderbilt-Wake Forest. Again, that one is going to be very early. If you want to pull an all-dayer, that's 10 a.m. Central time. That's an hour earlier than usual. That one's on the ACC network. Wake Forest is favored by 10. Uh, Vandy off to a 2-0 start, obviously playing a little weaker competition with Hawaii and Alabama A&M. But a chance for Vanderbilt to make a splash. Wake Forest not projected to have an awesome year, but also not projected to be in the bottom of the conference, so that one will be interesting. Number five. Is that Ole Miss and Tulane game that we talked a little bit about, Brooks? Top 25 matchup between Ole Miss and Tulane. So 
There you have it. That's Sports Call 5 at 5 presented by Southeast Land Group. Five SEC matchups to keep an eye on this week. Five pretty good ones right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you look like you said, the, you start off with the headliner, that Alabama-Texas game uh, to, to to finish, well, not finish off your evening, kind of get your evening started. Uh, and then you've got that, that big one down in Miami, Texas A&M. Connor Wegman had a big week last week uh, to, to get things going with the Bobby Petrino calling plays. Maybe, maybe it's Jimbo Fisher, who really knows. Uh, uh, but Texas A&M really in need of a big win. You know, we talked about that Ole Miss two-lane game, uh, and and then you know you said that Arizona Mississippi State game. I, I, I mentioned that earlier this and uh, when we were going through all of our foot, college football previews. Now that's a game to watch. I mean, Arizona steadily on the trying to build things up steadily. They had a big game last weekend. Delora, their quarterback, two eighty-five, three touchdowns. Uh, I believe that was against Northern Arizona, uh, but it was you know they they they're building something out there. Fish is building a little bit of a, of a program out there, getting ready to join the Big 12 here uh, in, in next year. And so it's a chance for them to go on the road and get a marquee win uh, against an SEC school. And then on the Mississippi State side of things, chance to uh, you know put last week, the first half of last week behind you, get get in, beat a Power 5 opponent, and uh, you know kind of kind of settle yourself into the doing a football season that could go a lot of different ways. And if it goes bad this week and it could go even worse for the rest of the year. Let's go back to our orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9 at Tiger 9. Next up on the show, Real Deal from Coosa County. Real Deal is with us. How are you uh, today, Real Deal? I'm doing all right, man, but I wish y'all would just stop all this sugar-coating, man. What are we sugar-coating? Sugar-coating college football. Let me tell you something. Listen to me good. I know every time I call, y'all always think I'm in the Kool-Aid. LSU got beat, right? Yes. LSU, if you if you look at LSU, LSU was not that good. That's the reason I'm putting all my marbles on Auburn. Auburn had LSU 17 nothing at Auburn. They just didn't have the right coaching, and they couldn't coach Robert right. And Auburn should have beat LSU. I don't know why everybody think LSU was so good. LSU was not that good anyway. LSU just got some good breaks. So I'm going to tell you something about Alabama. Listen to me good. Nick Saban is not losing his edge. And I've been listening to y'all. Sports call show. I've been listening to everybody. Well, y'all is failing to realize and not thinking. These guys are getting paid now. And everybody is getting good players in the transfer portal. And Nick Saban, Alabama would never be the same. I'm going to tell you something about Alabama. Alabama is not getting those big-time wide receivers that, that they've been accustomed to getting. And also, Alabama had the Gibbs kid last year, you know, from Georgia Tech. That, that was one of their best playmakers. So Alabama... Didn't have all those wide receiver athletes that they didn't have it. And Nick Saber can bring Bart Starr, if he's still alive, back in the day. They're not going to win. What y'all failing to realize, and everybody saying Dion thing was a shocker. No. Dion Sanders just got good players in the transfer portal. And where everybody in the sports world is failing to realize what I'm trying to put out there, these guys are getting paid, and every school is getting great players. They're not getting all they want, but they're getting good players. 
And I'm going to tell you something about Alabama tomorrow. And I'm not a defensive-minded coach. Nero, he's good. But if you stop him from running, and let's see how good he can throw, then you'll see what Alabama got. And all this everybody keeps saying about Auburn, well, Auburn is going into a different time zone. You know, Kyle could beat him as this and that. No, no. If Auburn goes there and play Auburn football and take care of their business, they beat Kyle. They beat these guys. If Auburn plays football, you really don't think them in the Kool-Aid. They hangs with Georgia. Because this is a quarterback that Georgia got. He's never been in the big time. He won some games because he's been decided with Georgia. But when you play somebody on their home field, you can't buy experience. You got to earn it. And see what's. And, and I'm going to tell you this, and then I'm going to hang up. I know you got other callers. Everybody said, oh, Duke shot Clemson. No, no. Duke didn't shot Clemson. Duke got some good players there. That's what, that's what Duke got. And that little Sweetie wants to keep the ball game the same way it used to be. He's mad about the transfer portal. He's mad. He gets all these top recruits, but what people are failing to realize, the NCAA has opened up this transfer portal, and everybody, man, everybody is getting good players. And everybody keeps saying, Nick Saban is using his ass. No, Nick is not using his ass. If a team get the right players in there and call the right players, they beat Nick Saban. And I'm going to go so far. If Georgia keeps thinking they're invincible, they beat Georgia. Because Georgia had had some players leave there. And well, all y'all in the sports world is starting to realize everybody getting super players. And anybody can beat, beat now on any given day. And I'm going to say, well, Eagle, and just get you guys comments. All right, War Eagle, real deal. That is a real deal from Coosa County on the orthopedic clinic phone line. Yeah, a lot there. Uh, some of it I, I agree with. I, I Again, I think the bits and pieces there are some of the things we said, but, uh, again, some of it there a little bit different. I I do think that with the transfer portal, uh, obviously that's why you know, with the Dion thing in, in Colorado, that's why that's happening. And, uh, you know, I, I still think that people have – a right to be surprised to some degree because it's just something that is so different. Uh, and you go out and do it the very first game. Again, we've also had the varying opinion, though, that also uh, I, I remember Keith called in earlier this week and said, well, TCU's not going to be very good this year, too. And 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 I, I told you preseason that I thought they'd only win five or six games. So, you know, what it actually amounts to in the totality this year, we'll see. That's part of it, though. I think when you look at the transfer portal and you – again, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to answer because he bounced around with a lot of different schools there. Uh, again, if you were – listen, when we talked a little Clemson Duke, did we pick Duke to win? No, but we certainly understood that Duke was not the Duke of 10, 20 years ago and that they won nine games last year. and They do have good players, as Real Deal mentioned. Uh, we just expected Clemson to be able to still do a few things against them. And to Duke's credit, they they won the game. Also, though, from Clemson's point of view, if they just simply don't start fumbling the ball around the red zone, that could be a completely different game too. So it's not like Clemson got thoroughly outplayed. Clemson outgained Duke, and they looked fine from 20 to 20. It's just they got in the red zone, 
and, and two fumbles, missed field goal, blocked field goal, uh, everything uh, did and went 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 wrong. Uh, so on that part of it, again, I'm I'm certainly not <laughs> I've not disrespected Duke whatsoever uh, on the program. As far as the the Alabama and Georgia part of it and the and the portal and that sort of thing, look, absolutely, you now have the ability to uh, get players that otherwise maybe wouldn't have considered your school to consider you. You're able to get more players in the portal. Guys that get unhappy from sitting for a couple of years at these big schools can now leave. Uh, it, it becomes more difficult, sure. Um, do I see signs of leakage out of Alabama? It's not really. I, I think that there are um, a couple of signs defensively last year, but I can explain those ways in uh, a way into Pete Golding very quickly. And the wide receivers is an interesting point because I do think the wide receivers are legitimately down. I was scrolling through, again, reminding myself of where some of these kids were, were rated. And, again, shocker, they're still rated high. I don't think they didn't get who they wanted to get. Corey Brooks was a five-star guy. JoJo Earl, Earl was a, a high four. Uh, they obviously got uh, Burton to transfer. Uh, and, and, and he was – Jermaine Burton was a big deal at Georgia or a big-time recruit at Georgia. They have plenty of guys highly rated. They are not breaking out in the way that typical Bama receiving cores have. But it's not that they got denied good players there. Uh, they are just having a cycle where they, they did not have any one guy step out and be the number one type of receiver they did have for several cycles there. Uh, I, I would love for it to be true that they're about done. And to be fair, I don't think Nick Saban's coaching that much longer. I don't think he's got 20 years left. I don't think he's got 12 years left. I think we're down into the single digit years decidedly. And, and, um, I, I think we're probably three to five more years away. Uh, and some will tell you this would be it. I, I'm not going to go there, but I, I do think it's soon. And then as far as Georgia, and obviously the, the the last one about the Bama thing is once Nick Saban leaves, all bets are off. They, they could they could stay as a genuinely uh, good program. They will not be the level they were at Nick Saban. Uh, they could still make playoffs because it'll be twelve team playoffs. It depends who they hire, or they could regress significantly and not be a playoff team. I don't know. We'll see who they hire, uh, but it won't be Nick Saban. Georgia's point of view, though, I I, I can't. I, I know he said Georgia better be careful. They're not leaking yet. I mean, I, I think they're aware of it. Um, they, to me, don't, it doesn't really matter their quarterback play that much. Like, that's the kind of whole point of their program is like, as long as Beck's not actively bad or whoever they put in there is actually bad, did you really think Stetson Bennett was awesome? I thought he clearly got better. I didn't think it was awesome. He said, well, you made it to New York, made the Heisman ceremony. Yeah, he shouldn't have. I'll explain that away very quickly. He should not have. He was he was the quarterback of the best team in the country, and they and they threw him a bone, no pun intended, and that's it. Uh, again, that's not to say that he didn't. There's there's space between between Heisman great and just being a, a, a solid college quarterback and a good college quarterback. He he developed into a decent college quarterback. That didn't mean he should have been in the Heisman ceremony. That also doesn't mean that uh, you know he's not replaceable and that. He played like the fourth best quarterback in the in the country last year because he didn't. I didn't think he was the fourth best fourth best quarterback in the country. So it's a very attainable level 
that they can get their quarterbacks to reach uh, for, for them to be able to sustain offense. I think the, the problem there is just if Mike Bobo ends up being uh, a bad situation for them. But they still have you know, lit the world on fire in recruiting. And as much as the transfer portal might matter to some, I will still always tell you the base of this, or at least for now, let's, let's see it out for a few years. But again, some people are going to jump on the transfer portal train. That's fine. I still think it needs to be high school first, then transfer portal second. I think certain situations that are new, of course they need an influx of transfer portal. But but say Auburn, who brought in a lot of what's going to be productive to them this year in the portal, I guarantee you that is not what Hugh Freeze is going to be wanting to do every single year. And it's not going to be the mission of a program that is in a great place to do that every year. The mission of a program that wants to be stable and consistent, even with the portal, is to be able to create a great foundation with your recruits from high school and then fill in the gaps with the transfer portal. And so that's why when you hear Hugh Freeze interviewed, he says it's not the 2024 and 2025 portal cycle that will determine if Auburn football succeeds under Hugh Freeze. He says it's the 2024-2025 high school recruiting cycle. And so to that degree, if if the Georgias and Alabamas continue to win that recruiting cycle year after year after year, if they continue to do that with the coaches they continue to have, I don't see why they can't stay on top. Again, I'd love for it to not be true. I I, I will say again, I do not want them to continue to win titles. It's not fun. But that's been the reality for a while, and this is a significant change, this transfer portal. But I still think that Alabama and Georgia are smart enough to fill in the gaps when necessary, or else, look, it, it might not have been very worthwhile. They did go get a transfer portal quarterback. It's not their guy. They're starting Milrow, and they want Milrow to work. They did go get somebody there. Uh, and like I said, they got Burton two years ago for the wide receiver room because they saw that it was going to lack a little bit. So I don't think that it's some mass exodus there. Uh, again, would would love for more of that to be true, but I again that and hopefully it'll be proved pathetic. But uh, at this time, I'm not ready to go there. Call me sugarcoating it, what what have you? But uh, you know, whatever the case may be, I don't know, Brooks, if you have any any thoughts on on all that. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, like you were saying, I'll, I'll just touch on the the um, the portal stuff. But I, I've talked about it all along. Is that you need a, a if you're going to go out and use the portal, I think it should be to fill in holes and fill in gaps, and then get get a guy that maybe is is better. You know, you think is better than the guys that are on your campus. Even if you even let's say you have a number one wide receiver, and you see in the portal, there's a guy that would be a number one wide receiver at a, a bigger, you know, a, a, a better number one wide receiver, a first round, you know potential wide receiver go get them go out there and get them don't wait around just you know go out even if you've got a guy that you're like this is a number one wide receiver if you if there's a guy out there that you think is better than one your top guy go get them but the transfer portal in in my opinion you still is is the your the base of your program is still built through the high school ranks still built through recruiting in high school and then you use that transfer portal to to build uh, to to fill in those holes like Hugh Freeze did this year. He, there was a lot of holes to fill. That's why there was a lot of players that came in. Um, it's, you know, you, you look out there at Colorado, uh, Coach Prime, he didn't just go out there and get all these players out of the portal for the heck of it. 
that was a one-win one team last year, and he's looked out in the portal and said, I can get guys in the portal that are going to be better than, than what we have here right now. And he went out and got guys that were going to be better and were going to help produce. And we saw in week one it helped them produce a big win. Uh, you know, they, they were, what, 21-point underdogs and they got a win? And so, it, again, it's, it's a big uh, – the the portal is a good it's a it's a good resource to have if you're a head coach to fill in holes but you shouldn't you know in, overall you shouldn't be building a program on the transfer portal. All right, got a couple phone calls lined back up. Let's hear uh, one more time from Real Deal here on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Real Deal's back on with us. I'm not gonna hold you up long, y'all. Is right with everything y'all say, but see where the transfer portal is doing. I'm I'm just. Well, let me put it this way. I've been an Auburn fan since I was seven years old. Yeah, uh, B3s don't want to just build a team up with the transfer portal. But see, what's happening right now in college football, and uh, uh, Debo Sweeter has made a good example of it. He's trying to recruit and do just like what y'all are talking about. But see, the thing that's hurting recruiting Yes, Auburn's getting some of the top recruits that's going to come there. But see, what I'm trying to get y'all to see, what I love about the transfer report, I just hate they going from this school to school. We're going to get some recruits that's not going to be developed yet ready to play. And you made a good point about Georgia. Mike Bobo is going to be Mike Boo Boo because I don't care <laughs> how good the players you get. I think he's going to miss George up. I'm going to hang up, get you guys come in. I know you got other callers in War Eagle. Yes, sir. Appreciate it, War Eagle. Uh, again, that's real deal from Coosa County. Yeah, again, and I, I'm not saying the transfer portal is a nothing burger. I, that's no. that's not what we're we're saying at all. Too. I think the transfer portal allows uh, some adverse situations to become significantly better much quicker i just think that if you're reliant on that you're going to have way bigger ebbs and flows and way less consistency as opposed to if you can keep banging out top five top 10 classes every year and to real deals point and we've kind of circled around this a little bit with clemson Dabo's downfall is because he's not embraced the portal whatsoever. I'm not familiar with every single player on the roster, but I could have told you you needed to add some more wide receivers. And if Klubnik ends up not being good this year, you're going to need to get a transfer portal quarterback because obviously there's something in the developmental process that's now awry there. And maybe it's Tony Elliott not being there. I don't know. Uh, but but so it, it still needs to be used Again, I think it's talking about volume and different volumes for different situations. We've got another call on our orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Matt from Phoenix City. Matt is with us. Matt, how are you this afternoon? Hey, I'm good. Um, Here's the question I have surrounding uh, program building as it pertains to the portal and and recruiting classes, um, you know, obviously it is it is a a wonderful thought that you bring in recruiting classes that you develop those guys and and uh, build a solid program that way. My question is: Are we now in a situation where 
that's almost a pipe dream. Um, you know, if those guys don't come in and play as freshmen, how many of them are going to stick around? And if um, those guys come in and they don't play as freshmen and they're not receiving the NIL benefits that some of the other guys might receive, how long are they going to stick around? So, you know, I think there's such a thin line between can you build a program that way now versus when Nick Saban took over at Alabama, when Kirby Smart took over at Georgia, uh, even when Dabo took over at Clemson, you know, that was the way that you built classes. And I just wonder, uh, are we too far gone with the portal and with NIL um, that, that those days are are almost to a point where they're going to be behind us? Sure. I, I would, I would want to see and I would want to study over these next couple of years where class, how classes like five through ten do with retention because the teams that will be fifth through tenth in recruiting – they're going to be your LSUs, your Texases, maybe your Auburns if Hugh Freeze gets it going, and, and Texas A&Ms, et cetera, and programs that are not necessarily winning at that level every single year that obviously aspire to do that but are not necessarily pounding out 10-2 and two every single year. I'd be curious to see what the retention is of their players because we obviously know very well how many A&M lost off of the, that class from, from two years ago or last year. Uh, and right. to think about Alabama and Georgia, again, those are the schools that have kind of perfected it for now because they've they've been doing this a while and it's a little different for them because they've already established this, as you point out. And and they've lost a couple, but I've also not been aware of like these this mass exit of, oh, they lost eight players off of that class in one year. I haven't heard to that degree, but I also don't think that's the team uh, or, or the program to compare it to. I'd want to see how these good but not best classes are faring if they can develop those kids, if they keep those kids in programs two and three and four years. Uh, more devil's advocate salt. Uh, and then I, I know you probably got to get to the, the bottom of the hour break, but um, yesterday I heard you were talking about uh, the over and under to the Auburn game and um, – <clears throat> Seem like your thoughts were, were leaning more towards uh, the over for the game. Yes, and I'm I'm just curious in these first few weeks uh, how betting is going to have to change because of uh, the clock rules with the first down. You know, Hugh Freeze mentioned it at halftime. He said, "Wow, you know, you come out and you play half football to get two possessions." Uh, and I just wonder. If Auburn is is successful at, at uh, running the football tomorrow, and if Cal uh, stays true to form from last week and and has some success on the ground, you know, is that going to eat up even more clock? Um, and and you know, maybe maybe you can't hit that over mark, and and you know, so are the lines going to have to be adjusted based on. Uh, I, I haven't looked. I don't know if there was a drastic reduction in the number of snaps. Um, obviously, Oregon didn't have a problem. <laughs> um, but I just wonder, you know, is is that going to uh, evolve into, um, you know, 
we're, we're having tremendous success running the football and we're getting, you know, eight, nine yards pop, we're popping all these first downs. And, and where in the past clock would stop a little more often, now that clock's not stopping, it's almost a, a, a running clock if you have a good run game, even more so than it was before. Right. Um, and so I just wonder, you know, obviously you can still get in a shootout and, and things can happen, but I'm just I'm, I'm uh, excited to see in the, in the near future <clears throat> how the game evolves just from that standpoint now you have a game plan for, okay, well, look, you know, instead of four possessions in the first half, uh, we're going to have three, and now we're going to have to really be uh, a little more careful as to protecting the football and, and taking those shots downfield and wasting opportunities. Um, and I just wonder, I, I'm leaning personally towards the under tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I just, I feel like, I feel like both, both ground games are going to be sufficient. Um, you know, I'm not. I'm not worried about our front seven, but I'm not thoroughly impressed. You know, you, you certainly don't want to give up 150 yards to UMass on the ground, but um, you know, from from what I understand, significantly better running game with Cal, and so I just I think maybe that lends itself to. Um, shorter game and, and, and fewer points being scored. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think that's the, the clear and convincing argument for it. Uh, and everyone is curious about the clock, and I don't have much data. Uh, obviously, digesting week one, the scores didn't seem off, but there's a lot of blowouts, and we really need to see the, the, the hotly contested games uh, to see exactly. But again, in, in my head – we're talking about five to seven seconds uh, every single time there's a first down and uh, that you lose. And so if you lose 20 – if you have 20 first downs aside, that's 40 times five seconds basically in the scheme of things. That is, um, again, what, what – A minute and a half. Yeah, uh, you know, a couple minutes. And so at, at, at that point – what you're talking about is, okay, yeah, you don't run the play clock down to zero, but if I have two minutes worth of lost time due to first downs and I run the play clock down to 25 or, or down to 10 seconds, let's say, when they snap it, that's that's 30 seconds times four. That's two minutes. So I prob- I feel like I lose four to five plays, and, and maybe that maybe there's some, some sort of flawed logic in that, but in my head that's how I process it, that – I would not expect to lose more than more than five or so plays on, on average. Now, again, we'll see what those numbers come out to be. So that's why I think that you could argue you lose maybe one score a game, but I still don't think that it's going to be uh, incredibly noticeable. I think we're, I think it, in other words, I think it will take a study versus you and I just being able to look at the score and say, yeah, that doesn't look right. That doesn't look normal. I think it will take someone to study right. it. So I do think it's possible, and it's also possible Vegas is, is thinking there will be an adjustment because of that, and that's why some of these over-unders are lower because lower, we were talking about Ole Miss-Tulane. I think millions of points could be put up there, uh, and I think the over-unders like 64 or, or something like that. So maybe I'm just optimistic for too many points, but uh, I, I've been leaning overs for, on some of these, these games this week. Well, between the two of us, I hope you're correct, <laughs> and, and and I hope Auburn covers. Yes, sir. Uh, I think it would it would be nice to 
go out west and come home with another Pac-12 win. And, uh, one final time, because I don't know who else there's going to be to play in the Pac-12. So one final time. Hey, that's it. You know, last ride. Yep. Uh, but uh, I appreciate you taking my call. I'm, yes, I'm headed over to Prattville. I'm going to check out these Panthers. And, and uh, I got a... a son that's making his varsity debut tonight oh awesome i'm pretty fired up about that oh that's awesome we we wish him uh we wish him a great game tonight i appreciate it guys we'll talk to you soon appreciate it matt that is matt from phoenix city joining us on the orthopedic clinic phone line and as matt mentioned there you can listen to smith station football they're in prattville tonight that's fm talk 93.9 broadcast shortly after 6 30 uh with a kickoff time right around seven o'clock we're starting to tick down the final moments of sports golf for the day and for the week. So we're going to take one final timeout. When we come back, we'll give our final analysis, final prediction for Auburn and Cal, and also get to the nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Friday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy and Brooks Childress with you. Final seven or eight minutes of the show this afternoon and for the week. Getting ready for some more football. Very exciting stuff. Of course, yesterday we previewed the NFL. want to remind you, Atlanta Falcons. We are the proud home of the Atlanta Falcons in East Alabama. Right here, Tiger 95.9. They start off with the Carolina Panthers this Sunday. 10 a.m. airtime, 12 o'clock kick. Big division battle to start things off. Yeah, uh, it is a very important division battle. So uh, we'll see how that one goes. Again, a lot of high school offerings tonight right here. Tiger 95.9, Borgard High School football against Valley. Shortly after 6.30 airtime, 7 o'clock kickoff. And over on FM Talk 93.9, Smith Station football at Prattville. That one, same stuff. A little, a little past 6.30 Airtime, 7 o'clock kickoff, and then the Alabama High School Athletic Association scoreboard show immediately follows at 10 o'clock. Don't forget about college football on FM Talk tomorrow night, or tomorrow morning, too. Yes, tomorrow morning, the much-mentioned Colorado Buffaloes. We have that game on our airwaves, FM Talk 93.9, 10.30 airtime, 11 o'clock kick for Colorado-Nebraska. Good old Big 12 matchup, except it's not. Hey, Colorado's going back to Big 12. Yeah, maybe Nebraska can uh, uh, break away and go back. Maybe so. So uh, that matchup tomorrow morning, FM Talk 93.9, as Brooks said. So a lot of good stuff on our Tiger Communications family of stations. A lot of football. Absolutely. And, again, that is inherently good stuff. So a few minutes left. Brooks, let's get uh, final predictions now from Auburn and Cal. 
Uh, you don't have to. You can give me an exact score. You can give me the type of game. You can give me uh, the keys to the game. Whatever you want. Uh, final thoughts on Auburn, Cal? Um, you know, it's it's right now still sitting at a six point Auburn favorite right now. I, I like that line. I, I think Auburn uh, goes out there and gets the uh, gets the job done against Cal. It's you know there. It's it, it's two teams. That you know, it, they're not the most. You know, you, you look at them both on paper, especially preseason. They're not most attractive. But then in their first week, they both scored fifty plus points in their wins over uh, the uh, group of five and an independent school uh, with UMass uh, for Auburn. And so I, I think that this game is is going to be the the keys go back to what we talked about earlier. I think Peyton Thorne making good decisions with the football, reading the defense well, not creating turnovers. Um, and, and, you know, make, because like we said, like Q Free said, this is a defense that's not trying to fool you. They're just trying to play really good, solid defense. And so as, if you can read them and make make smart decisions with the football, uh, you, you can pick apart the defense and, and you can you can move you move down the field. Um, for uh, Auburn's defense, you got to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh and you, we really, you got to stop the run. You got to put pressure on the run game. Is I, I guess what I was trying to say. Uh, but you, you need to get in there because they've got some good backs. We saw them last week. You, you watch them on film. You watch the, the replay of the games last week. Uh, they've got they've got good you know, good running game, and so you have to be able to go in there and stop them and make sure that you minimize that and, and give get the ball back to your to your offense to try to score more points. I think this game comes down. I like, like I said, I, I think it's it's a six point game, uh, mid thirties maybe around thirty five to twenty eight, thirty five twenty nine, something like that uh, for the, for Auburn to get the win tomorrow night up in uh, or out in Berkeley, California, uh, and and I think it's going to be a really good environment. I think the Cal fans are going to be fired up, and especially when you get a, a good bunch of Auburn fans, and you, you've seen it on social media, you've seen people posting on the way, you know, in the airport on the way to California. Uh, I think once you get the Auburn fans in an environment, that's going to fire the Cal fans a little bit more, and you're, you're going to have a good college football game tomorrow night. Yeah, I certainly think that uh, it's going to be uh, certainly a different environment. I think Cal's fans they will, will welcome the opportunity to play an SEC school. Again, there has been some chatter on the Cal side. Again, I don't inherently hate it. I just don't think it's best to put it out in the public because now Auburn's keenly aware of it and they're, they're a little extra motivated. Uh, we've talked about Auburn being favored by six. We've talked about the over-under of 55. I like Auburn to cover and to be a little bit over, too. Uh, we were just talking with Matt a little bit about that. I, I think that this game will be a lot on the ground, but I also think explosive plays will be involved. Hugh Freeze, remember, does not just love to just run it down to five seconds and then run, and run it down to five seconds and then run. Cal might do some of that. They might they might mix it up a little bit. But I think Auburn, even with a lot of runs, I think they're still going to look for explosive passing plays. I think they're still going to look for uh, some tempo at times. And I think that'll help the score be a cover because, again, I don't know that either defense will just be able to consistently stop the other offense, especially if Cal continues to go a lot of ground game. Now, if Auburn can overwhelm Cal early, if they can take a big lead – and force Cal to throw more than they really want to and be less balanced, that could uh, really lead to some good things for Auburn. They can get Cal behind the eight ball a little bit. But I think Cal will put some points on the board. I'm thinking somewhere along the lines of 38 to 28. Uh, so, again, that would cover the six. 
and that would uh, would be above the, the 55. What would that be? 66, quick math, I think, is, is what that would be for the total. So, again, that's why I was thinking it was a decent amount uh, lower than I thought it would be for the over-under. But, again, some of that could be because of a few less plays and just how that would uh, adjust the game a little bit. Uh, again, I think we need to see multiple weeks of data because I think we need to weed out some of these uh, blowouts. So it's it's abundantly clear after week one the clock rules did not affect the ability for a larger school to inform the smaller school <laughs> that they are inferior and that they will be uh, naming their score uh, because Ole Miss did it to Mercer, Oregon did it to whoever that was, Southern Utah, I think, yeah, something like that. Sure. Uh, plenty of 50-somethings to 7 and 10 and 14, uh, as both these teams scored in the upper 50s against their respective opponents. So, again, it certainly I, it did not it did not feel like it affected the scores of the blowout games. We'll see as we get more of these even matchups if it has uh, a greater impact. But, again, and I'm also curious to see one thing from – one more thing from the Auburn point of view uh, beyond all the things we've talked about. Again, I'm curious to see, assuming Jarquez Hunter plays – uh, what the mix of carries is like. Because, again, I think Auburn will run a lot. That doesn't mean that they, again, like I said, I still think there'll be a certain tempo to a lot of it. But what's that carry ratio like? Do they ease Jarquez back in it? Do they value him clearly above or way above the other running backs? Is there slightly above? What situations do you work these guys into? We talked a little bit about that with wide receivers earlier and who Peyton Thorne uh, would favor. But I also think it's relevant, and I'm, I'm curious, because I think Auburn's running back room is really good. It's really deep. I would not expect, uh, if Jarquez Hunter does play, I would not expect to see Jeremiah Cobb because I still am under the impression that they would like to redshirt him. But still, you have Damari Austin and Brian Batty. I don't think Sean Jackson would play. But, I, I, again, I, who am I to say once how many deep they're going to go? Uh, but I, I'm really interested to see how they divvy up those uh, running back carries. Down to the final minute or so of the show, time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end. But we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide. Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, what do we have? Friday night movie night, one movie for you this evening, 6.45 p.m. on TNT. It's Grown Ups 2, the sequel to the Adam Sandler movie Grown Ups, also featuring Adam Sandler and all of his best friends. Uh, like I said, 6.45 on TNT, your one movie pick for the evening. Elsewhere in the sports world, 6 o'clock on ESPN, it's the men's semifinal, the U.S. Tennis or the U.S. Open Tennis uh, tonight. It is Medvedev versus Alcaraz. Uh, you just saw Djokovic win his way into the final on Sunday earlier this afternoon. Semifinal number two, 6 o'clock on ESPN. College football action night, 6.30 on ESPN2, the national game. Illinois visits Kansas. Also, if you're looking for other Big Ten action, uh, 6 o'clock on the Big Ten Network, it's Indiana State visiting Indiana. A little rivalry action in the Hoosier State. You know what, Brooks? I don't think that I was, but thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, WNBA action tonight, 7 o'clock on IA. The Minnesota Lynx visit the Chicago Sky, followed up at 9 o'clock by the Las Vegas Aces visiting the Phoenix Mercury. Uh, some racing action for you tonight. The NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series, Kansas Lottery, 200, 8 o'clock on FS1 as the round of 10 playoff race from Kansas Motor Speedway. And, of course, 9 o'clock tonight on ESPNU. You got some high school football action. Centennial out of California visits Bishop Gorman, of course, in Nevada. 
And then, of course, wrapping up your evening with a couple local things around here. Uh, Charleston Southern visits number 25, Auburn. Auburn suffered their first loss last night in volleyball. They're back in action tonight, 7 o'clock on the SEC Network. Plus, our friend J.J. Jackson, former host of the show, on the call of that tonight, uh, like I said, on the SEC Network. Plus, and of course, Braves back in action, Valley Sports Southeast, 620 tonight as they take on the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that is your nightly TV guide brought to you by our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. Thank you for being on throughout the week. And, uh, and we're going to enjoy uh, Timson and, and you and all the Beauregard boys out at uh, Beauregard here in just a few minutes. But appreciate you being here today. Absolutely. That will do it for the show this afternoon and for the week. As always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan Lavoy. Enjoy another great weekend of football, and we'll talk to you again on Monday.